welcome. It's indisputable, I'm your host, Rashad Ritchie. Good to be with you, we have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, my contributor, none other than David Schuster. TYT contributor, Rebel HQ superstar, should be a fascinating breakdown. Top story of the day, Donald Trump deranged, basically calling for war. Echoing the sentiment of Marjorie Taylor Greene in a different context at CPAC. Here it is. I stand here today and I'm the only candidate who can make this promise. I will prevent and very easily World War III, very easily. In 2016, I declared, I am your voice. Today I add, I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. Not going to let this happen. Not going to let it happen. Before I even arrive at the Oval Office, I will have the disastrous war between Russia and Ukraine settled. It will be settled quickly, quickly. I will get the problem solved and I will get it solved in rapid order. And it will take me no longer than one day. I know exactly what to say to each of them. I got along with very well with them. This is the most dangerous time in the history of our country. And Joe Biden is leading us into oblivion. With you at my side, we will demolish the deep state. We will expel the war mongers. We will evict Joe Biden from the White House. And we will liberate America from these villains and scoundrels once and for all. I have more video, but let me highlight a couple of dynamics here. Number one, when he said the way he would do it is very easily. And the crowd goes wild. That's not a strategy. That is not a methodology. That is not a political policy. That is not a political directive. That is not a governance directive. But the crowd went wild. Also, he said, if you've been wronged or betrayed, I want you to know who he's talking to. You've been wronged or betrayed, I am your retribution. Do not think he's talking to run of the mill conservatives. Do not believe that he is referring to everyday Americans. He's talking directly to the same people that he just made a mixtape with last week, the January 6th terrorist attackers. That's who he's talking about. He's letting them know very clearly, he is their retribution. Now that is my conclusion based on the coded language of Donald Trump that I've been able to decipher over the years. And then he makes claims that are virtually impossible, for example, being able to resolve war conflict before you are even president of the United States, before you get to the White House. Now, if you have those powers, Donald Trump, why do you not enact them now? There's more, here it is. 
in my life, in my world, I all of my friends are regular Americans. Everyone I talk to is sick and tired and fed up of being bullied by the left, abused by the left, and disrespected by the left. And our ideas, our policies, our ways of life have become so far apart that it's just coming to that point. And the last thing I ever want to see in America is a civil war. Um, no one wants that, at least everyone I know would never want that. But it's going that direction, and we have to do something about it. We're also a nation, a crumbling nation. We're a nation in distress. Our government is in complete failure, over $34 trillion. We are on the verge of default, and we have to do something about that. Yeah, not elect Donald Trump. He's the reason why we have a record debt. Here's the thing, when Marjorie Taylor Greene first said those words, I was right here and I said to you, do not believe that Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying something that will be a one-off. This will be part of a strategy moving forward. And Marjorie Taylor Greene did not come up with this sentiment herself. <clears throat> she is now part of the extremist machine. The Trump machine is a messaging dynasty. Now, all of a sudden, Donald Trump, number one by long shot in the Republican primary, as I've explained before, if mainstream Republicans continue to jump on this primary bandwagon, it will create an atmosphere similar to 2016. Donald Trump is damn near guaranteed a Republican victory in the primary. Why? Because he doesn't need the majority of the Republican voters. If you look at the numbers, first time he ran, he never received the majority of the Republican vote in the Republican primary. Most primary voters voted against Donald Trump. His success was rooted in one dynamic. He was able to consolidate a significant number of individuals per state, making him the winner overall. Because the other Republicans could not consolidate a base and they split it. Donald Trump consolidated a base, continued with that methodology. And because there were so many Republicans running, the other side was split. It's called a plurality. And that's how you win in a plurality election. They are setting the stage again. For this to happen, let me give you the background. Trump made an unlikely boast, saying that he would be able to do this before he arrived in the Oval Office. He will have the disastrous war between Russia and Ukraine ended. I know what to say. Trump threw red meat to the base, additional border wall construction, and a massive increase in border patrols to stop the flow of illegal drugs. One day, voting with paper ballots, a crackdown on trans rights. And gender <clears throat> affirmation surgeries. He replaced his false claim that he won the 2020 election by a lot when, in fact, beat, uh, when in fact Biden beat him by 7 million votes. So he repeated those false claims. But this was before a cult like crowd. I'm going to explain to you why it was cultic. Okay. Saturday's event was a warning against Democratic complacency and indicated that Trump is down, but not out. And that just as in 2016, history could take a perilous turn. We have no choice, he said, in a startling contrast to Biden's pleas for unity. Warning, this is the final battle. He concluded, we don't do this, our country will be lost forever. We've talked about how conservatives always figure out how to create a boogeyman during every election cycle. 
This is a very effective strategy, obviously. Once again, he's presenting an element of fear. Fear is a great motivational tool in the arena of elected politics. But he also says something else that's quite telling. He warned against democratic complacency. Democratic complacency. You see, he has created a framework that is a contrast between the two variables, Democrats and Republicans. When have you heard Democrats talk about do not give in? Do, do not give in to Republican complacency. You don't. We're still talking about let's be bipartisan. Let's come together. Let's create unity. This is a different era. 1992, perhaps, but we are no longer in 1992. Donald Trump is well aware of the stage. I don't think President Biden is. And the desperation is here. People need good policy. You would never get that from bad people. All right, my dear brother, thoughts here. Well, Dr. Rich, I'm so glad you started uh, that you mentioned the math in there because uh, you're right. Between 25 and 30% of the vote, that's all Donald Trump needs, just like right. in 2016, in order to win a string of primaries and essentially make the nomination his. There is a couple differences, though. Uh, and that is, and I don't want to talk so much first about substance because Donald Trump was all about charisma in 2016. And in my view, regardless of whether you agreed or disagreed with him, he was one of the most charismatic politicians we have had perhaps in 100 years. I think he's lost something on his fastball and his curveball and his changeup. I think it's a little bit, I mean, 2016, he made a lot of people across the spectrum laugh. Now it doesn't feel so funny. There's a sort of a seriousness, mm -hmm. there's a dourness to Donald Trump. It doesn't seem like he's having as much fun. So I think that's a big strike against him in a general election. But in a Republican primary, you're right, he doesn't need that much in order to win. And the idea of using fear of creating a boogeyman, that's how Fox News is able to get a lot of yep. viewers. That's how the far right media is able to get a lot of viewers is they make people so afraid. And then along comes Fox News or Donald Trump and says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to yep. guide you through this. We're going to be okay. And you feel like you're sort of addicted to that. Um, it's a very dangerous approach, but I think those that is the era that we're in now where there are significant political dangers, both with the Donald Trump resurgence and also whether you talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene and the sort of the uh, mainstreaming of this idea that somehow we should have a national divorce. These are crazy ideas that once upon a time would cause people to say, you know what, Marjorie Taylor Greene should be accused of treason. But mm -hmm. now a lot of Republicans, they agree with her. Yeah, they call her a patriot. It's insane. All right, a man spends 21 years in prison for a crime that was made up. Put the picture up, full mass. Damn shame. 49 year old, Ralph Blaine. Mr. Blaine, Ralph Blaine Smith of Ohio, spent 21 years in prison for an alleged crime that might not have even occurred. He was awarded 1.3 million from the state last month following a wrongful conviction claim. I'm gonna give you background. Uh, he always maintained his innocence. So when his case was reexamined, prosecutors could not support with hard evidence the claims the alleged crime he was imprisoned for. Let me give you the lawsuit. Smith's life took a turn on February 2nd, 2000. When a home in Peeker Rington, Ohio, was allegedly robbed in a home invasion. The residents of the home described the alleged armed robbers as black males wearing hats or hoods and masks 
which concealed their faces below their eyes. The men asked the residents where their safe was and were told it was in the basement. Rudolph, Rudy, Valentino, Stefantis, and his wife, Tricia, were allegedly held at gunpoint as they made their way to the basement. The intruders allegedly stole 11,000 to 12,000 in cash. An unspecified number of rare comic books worth 4,000 to 6,500 worth of jewelry and cell phones. So after about 15 or 20 minutes, the intruders left the home. This is all part of their narrative. And the family went to a nearby relative's home to call the police. One responding officer had an initial impression. He doubted the veracity of the story, okay? He doubted it. Despite fresh snowfall on the ground, I want you to hear this. Despite fresh snowfall on the ground, which should have shown the robber's footprints and their vehicle tire tracks, no footprints or tracks were present. Smith's lawsuit document described one officer was writing in his report. The police reports also indicate the house was largely undisturbed. The following day, the couple reportedly then gave a vague and contradicting description of the two robbers. They also failed to give a satisfactory sketch of the robbers or described the face coverings worn by the alleged intruders. They literally were getting the story wrong. Um, let's put it up. So you're looking at David Silvernail, a detective on the case, interviewed Dana Rowe, a person Rudy initially listed as a possible suspect, right? Rowe reportedly was shaking during the interview. After being named a possible suspect, Rudy later told Silvernail he was certain of Rowe's involvement. But what's happening so far? There's an actual investigation to something that even the police are saying, mm, we really don't believe this happened. We should probably be arresting them for filing a false report. But they don't. They continue with this investigation. And then a question is posed Well, who do you think would do this to you? Sensing that they may be under suspicion themselves, they throw this individual at them. Oh, it's this person. You see, he's black. All right, that's all we need. Police get the information. Here's what happened. Smith's attorney accused Sivanel of failing to follow up investigating Roe after the interview. Meanwhile, Roe was friends with Smith's former girlfriend, Mary Office, who implicated Smith uh, to the couple as the culprit of the robbery. That's going to Smith's lawsuit. All right, all this is in writing. As the investigation continued, the detective showed the victims a photo of Smith because the victims admitted they never saw him prior to their grand jury testimony and no other evidence linked him to the case. The victim's eyewitness identified or identification of Smith led to a jury, grand jury indicting him on two counts of aggravated robbery, two counts of kidnapping and one count of theft. And he was sentenced to damn near 70 years in prison. Smith was the only one tried, despite two alleged intruders invading the home. 
Smith spent his time in prison studying law, studied law. Uh, and he decided he would engage in a process to prove his own innocence. And Smith's defense attorney, there he is, Joseph Landusky, helped the case get a new trial and growing suspicions that evidence was withheld. During the new trial, June 2021, it was ruled by a judge. Prosecutors did, in fact, withhold evidence, right? That's against the law, by the way. Most notably, the initial narrative written by the officer who expressed total skepticism over whether a crime actually occurred. Furthermore, the officer implied the victims got their description of Smith from his former girlfriend, who was, and I quote, motivated to implicate him out of a desire for revenge. Adding that pinning the alleged crime on Smith further shielded Smith's ex-girlfriend and Roe, whom the victims knew personally and who had knowledge of the basement safe. Let's put up the release. Talk about going through hell. This isn't even a crime that somebody else committed. The judge says he doesn't believe a crime happened at all. On July 2nd, 2021, Mr. Smith was released from prison on bond and was later freed from his ankle monitor September 2021. In December 2022, Smith filed his lawsuit against the state. While Smith has agreed to split the $1.3 million settlement with his attorneys, he also plans to use it to care for his family. Smith's fight for justice is far from over, however. As he has a pending federal lawsuit filed on February 7th against the former police officer, David Silvernail, and the former county prosecutor, Greg Marks, the city and Fairfield County. For those who may say systemic racism does not exist, let me ask you this. Do you think if they would have blamed this crime on a random white man, do you believe the outcome would have been the same given the fact there was no evidence to connect this random person to the crime? Of course not, you don't believe that. You believe evidence would have something to say inside of a court of law. Well, you would be right if everything was fair. But there is this sentiment that the evidence needed in a court of law for crimes like this is one thing, the color of your skin, evidence enough. Tragedy on top of tragedy here. Here's the other dynamic you're not going to hear. Everything that I just highlighted is actually illegal. It is illegal for prosecutors to willfully withhold evidence that could exonerate a person, that's a material matter. It's not just an ethical violation, it is a legal violation. In addition to that, the officer who engaged in obstruction, that's felony obstruction and violation of oath of office, easy. They're going to court, yes, civil. Why have they not been arrested for this kind of miscarriage of justice? Why have they not been arrested for the actual illegal statutory dynamics they committed against this black male? It's not even discussed, it's not even talked about. It's not even proffered as an element or option. All right, 
Dear brother, thoughts here. Mr. Smith is incredibly strong, a lot stronger than me or anybody I know, yeah. because for him to be able to persevere through these many years, um, knowing that he was innocent and be able to stand strong and eventually win is remarkable. There's no amount of money, no amount of money, either in the federal lawsuit or the lawsuit that he just settled that will make up for the lost time that he had, nothing. Uh, but it is uh, remarkable that he is willing to sort of continue to push forward. And, and to your point, Dr. Ritchie, I mean, we say time and again that our justice system is imperfect. And so many people say, oh, it's imperfect, but you know, it's the best we got. No, it's not the best we have because there are elements of racism. The system is racist in so many different ways, whether it's in terms of police behavior, whether it's in terms of prosecutions, whether it's in terms of juries. Any everywhere you look in the justice justice system, there are racial problems with it. And until we are willing to embrace that and say, you know what? This is this is wrong. We need to have some sort of oversight. We need to have some sort of reform to fix this. This kind of stuff will continue to happen because unfortunately in America, it continues to be human nature. That's right. We will continue to follow this story and give you the update of the federal lawsuit. Cop City, city of Atlanta, still controversial. HBCU students, very proud of them, standing up for what they believe in. Let's put it up for a mass. Uh, these students do not like how the city of Atlanta engaged in this dynamic called cop seat. I'm going to explain why I stand with them. And for full disclosure, I am an HBCU professor. Morehouse students are joined by Spelman students and faculty to protest Atlanta's cop city fearing how it will be utilized to perpetrate the targeting of black communities. Now you may be saying, well, doc, how is that possible? How can a training facility be the catalyst for targeting black communities? Do you know what is at the training facility or at least proposed? Well, they're going to build a few things, you know, shooting range, opportunity to kick in doors, also an apartment complex, a fake one. The irony of it, they're building a fake apartment complex so that police can learn how to better run into apartments and arrest you or perhaps kill you if they need to. This is hella ironic given the fact that one of the greatest contributors to crimes in Atlanta is affordable housing. So instead of building a real apartment complex, you spend millions to build a fake one. See, this is why students are outraged because that makes no policy sense whatsoever. If the dynamic of affordability and having a place to stay is a contributing factor to the criminality we are talking about, why would you ever give money to a fake structure and ignore the real structure that could have been built? There's more, the $90 million training facility for fire, Police and emergency first responders has drawn a slew of criticism from police reformists and environmentalists. Two different tracks of protest here since the idea was first proposed in 2015. Up to this final approval by the Atlanta City Council on October 2021. Now let me say this for the record because some people will conflate if I do not. The current mayor of Atlanta, Andre Dickens, he's not the one who spearheaded the project. He was not mayor at the time. Keisha Lance Bottoms was mayor at the time. She made some right decisions as it relates to the police, and I think she made some wrong ones. City Council, however, approved it. 
Mayor Dickens was on the council at the time of the approval. He is now the mayor. He has said pretty clearly that the city did a bad job going to the community first. He has attempted to reconcile that afterward by announcing the formation of a committee to oversee the process of Cop City and a few other things. Maybe a little late, but we'll see. Morehouse College Jr. and student activist Calvin Bell III said, and I quote, this investment will inevitably be increasing policing, which in my opinion is not synonymous with protection for communities such as the West End. Especially when policing is infested with racist and classist history. You see, Calvin is correct. He's correct not only in sentiment, He's also correct in statistics. Hiring more cops does not decrease your criminal element. Chicago has more cops than ever before. They are making more arrests than ever before, and their crime is still out of control. Why? Because you cannot arrest yourself out of a socioeconomic dysfunction. Your public safety model and your policing model are different. Policing is a small dynamic within the context of public safety. But we have conflated the two, unfortunately. Morehouse College uh, poli sci professor uh, Andrew Douglas had this, put it up. Uh, one of the more outspoken faculty members took Twitter to say, struck by how city leaders just can't ever bring themselves to acknowledge that police protect profits and property, not people. That ATL is the most economically unequal major city in America, and Cop City is meant to protect that inequality. He is correct. Per capita, City of Atlanta, or any major city, has the greatest difference between those who have and those who have nothing. He is correct on that assessment. The city of Atlanta is doing something that many cities do. I don't care if you have a progressive brand or not. You know who are true winners here? The developers getting the $90 million. You see, they're the ones not mentioned in these stories of public officials adopting legislation that nobody was pushing for. Nobody was checking for a cop city. Nobody was pushing for cop city. Nobody said we must have a cop city in Atlanta. There's more. Cop city is bringing a military tactic vibe to Atlanta communities, calling for shooting and shooting ranges, large scale, large scale shooting ranges, crowd suppression techniques running up into apartments, etc. According to the city, their first responders will be trained on de-escalation techniques, mental health, community oriented policing, and crisis intervention training and receive a civil rights history lesson. You can do all of that without that damn $90 million development. Let's put the picture up. So you mean to tell me in order to give cops a civil rights training, how to de-escalate, how to engage thoughtfully in a mental health paradigm. You must take all of this property, destroy all of this forestry, and enrage all of these citizens for this to happen. Doesn't make sense. Atlanta Police Foundation also disputes the construction's lending to police overreach and aggression as well as environmentalist claims that vital tree species will be wiped out for construction. This is an overhead rendering of the facility. Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens also backed Cop City construction and even tried to convince the protesting black students 
that it is good for the community. Let's put it up. So this came from a very influential cat. Franklin says Atlanta mayor Andre Dickens called an emergency meeting at Morehouse after students protested against Cop City. He tried to convince black students that Cop City, a militarized police training center was good for the black community. He got called, called a sellout. Dickens said in response to the students quote, let me share this with you. I've, I ain't never been no sellout. You've got the wrong resume you're looking at. As the path to construction continues, protesters are refusing to submit their further subjugation to police state. The mayor is trying to sell the program. Well, the program is already sold, it's already bought. He would literally have to tear contracts up, which is something I would have done on first day. Contracts will be torn. You can sue me for what's called expected, all right? Repudiation of contract, no problem. We'll go ahead and pay that fine. That's better than me spending 90 million damn dollars. I guarantee you, whatever you sue the city for, if they rip the contracts, will not come up to 90 million. This was ill-conceived from the beginning. This was not a good idea from day one. I actually believe Mayor Dickens is aware of that. Hmm. But now he is affixed to these contracts. It's outside of the box here. Contracts can be broken, sir. All right. Thoughts, my dear brother. I think this is just gross. I mean, to spend $90 million on this thing on a cop city, what we need is a civil rights city or a community city or a constitutional rights city. And right. until police can prove that they honor those, there's no reason to build a militarized training facility in the middle of Atlanta. I mean, maybe, look, I'm all in favor of police and fire and rescue having proper training. But they need to be, until they get like the, the grand spanking brand new $90 million facility, they need to show that they can do the basics correctly. And then as a reward, when crime is going down, when the city has invested in poor communities, when the city has made sure that constitutional rights are not being trampled anymore, then at that point, reward the police and fire with some new training facilities. But to do it this way when there's so many problems to begin with is just, is just disgusting. It's horrible. And there are so many things they could have done creatively, create a facility to train cops how to deal with individuals who are mentally ill or yeah. perhaps living in or engage in addictive behavior. How about create a facility that actually allows cops and community to live together, make those apartments real apartments and see if the community design can flow from there. There are things that could have been done here that many of the protesters said they would agree with and the city holistically ignored most of it. All right, we got more on the other side. Indisputable stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We have a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. V says, Hey, David Schuster, how is your pickleball game going? <laughs> All right, so let me, I got to admit, I haven't played time. with Dr. Richie yet, so I, you know, I, I we've got to test that out though. You probably won't. <laughs> uh, but let me say this I told you I was going to check out pickleball. Uh, and you sent me a link. Yeah. I looked at it. All right. I understand the concept of it, right? Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be a pickleball player. <laughs> uh, but people are still very enthused about your enthusiasm for the sport. How did you get involved in pickleball? I was a tennis player growing up and we yeah. just had a ping pong table and it sort of combines both. And I had a family member who got into it. And so I was like, oh, I could do this. And yeah, it's kind of, you know, the little wiffle ball, it's kind of fun. Dr. Richie, you know what? I think with a lesson or two, you would fall in love with it. I just, I just have this feeling. We may try that. 
so I can prove <laughs> you wrong. All right, <laughs> um, let's go to Suzanne. Why is the Smith suing the couple that falsely claimed someone robbed their house? Well, he's not really suing. He is suing, but he's not. It's the attorney suing, right? But he's suing by way of the representation. Representation is simply going to sue people that got money. That's why. Typically, lawyers don't sue to teach lessons. They sue to get money. So that's probably why they're not in the suit. Mo Fury, cops don't need more military training. They need mandatory cognitive behavioral therapy or at least behavioral counseling or psychological evaluations. There you go. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You feel French? Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. We have deemed this training day with him. <laughs> now, you saw what happened. Looks like a training to me. Who is going to replace the Karens that are today but will not be tomorrow? Here's the getaway. I mean, let's put this up. We're trying to get more details about this. There's a person who posted this and said, my poor neighbor who caught this on his camera shared this. So a peaceful, restful Sunday afternoon, I hear an alert on my garage camera. No big deal, it is daylight. 10 minutes later, I look at my window and several of my solar lights are missing. And several are knocked over. There were some teenage boys going to play basketball earlier. Maybe they got bored, I thought. I looked at my 
on the camera and see this. Then he explains what we just saw. According to the latest report, the items have not been returned. Can the man get his solar lights back? All right, David, you know, I've seen some hella carry moments. Wow, well, you know, here I was, I was feeling bad as a parent because I let my son have, I don't know, 12 popsicles the other day. And I thought, you know, that's terrible parenting. And now I know, no, it's like when you actually guide your child to steal somebody else's stuff. Right, that's that's bad parenting. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, never mind the kid. And, you know, it looks like the kid is just being doing whatever the mom is is saying. I mean, you were setting up your child for a lifetime of misery and trouble. Um, What parent would do that? And if you've got a problem with solar lights, you teach your kid, hey, we disagree. We think that light should be coal fired or electric or what a gas, whatever it is. Let's go have a conversation with the neighbor about that and understand why do you have solar lights? And do you think that they are as aesthetically pleasing as this neighborhood demands or whatever it is? You have a conversation. But to teach a kid to actually steal things, it's just ridiculous. Man. What's wild about what you said, it may actually be something about the solar lights they don't like. I don't know. But in the world we live in, that would not be beyond possible. All right, anti Karens unite. You're screaming at employees at Walmart. Get out of here. That's racist. Yes, it is. No, it's not. The United States doesn't have an official language, jackass. bit off a little bit more than you could chew there, ma'am. Let's put up this graphic because you didn't see it. But the Karen actually kicked the other woman, the black woman, twice. Now, it is interesting to note that when all of this went down, the employee immediately was aggressive to the black woman, even though the black woman was simply returning or retaliating in self-defense, perfectly acceptable, perfectly legal. Uh, This is not considered mutual combat when one engages in physicality against the other. The other is simply engaging in defense. All right, this was one of those effed around and found out stories. David, thoughts here. This is the second video that I've seen of a Karen at a subway, and I think the last two months. So, subway may have some sort of institutional problem, and perhaps they're putting in some sort of training or awareness, but they also, along with that, need to remind people you know, don't be a vigilante. Don't try to take matters into your own hands. Survey the situation. Try to understand what happened, um, because then you end up going after the wrong person. But, um, I'm just, I'm just amazed. Look, there are cameras everywhere, and I just yeah. hope someday that'll cause some people to change their behavior. Man, we'll see. It just seems like it causes people to be documented more. Mm. All right, we got more on the other side is indisputable stick and stay. Welcome back, always good to be with you. We have a lot of comments, I will read as many as I can. 
B says, wow, just wow. I thought the kid was going to fix the damage he did on the first two. Ha, huh. little did I know. Right, little did you know it was training day, okay? All right, Funk Dragon 76, the mom needs to be held responsible. That's right, right? Uh, Rye underscore himself, I wouldn't call this a care, more like criminal. Well, a lot of times it's one and the same. And uh, fascist killer says, of course, Afro-American people are involved. Vice always go at the blacks first. All right, I got a question for everybody. What in the red state hell? You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face. It's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. to a 90 pound girl. I ain't gonna, but you're the one that started. You can't back your ass up, then you shouldn't do it, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. What are you gonna do to a 90 pound girl? Don't start you can't finish. That's what you should do, learn your lessons. Learn Action. to regulate your emotions. Actions regulate have consequences. What, regulate what? Your emotions. Actions. Call your daddy, Actions have consequences. I don't have parents. Actions of have not, consequences. Because I'm sure they got rid of your ass. Actions have consequences. White trash. You That's are. you, not me, baby, because I ain't white. Think about it twice. Well, you're still trash. You're trash because you flip people off because you think you're all that in a bag of chips. If you want to flip me off, let's do it. Let's put the picture up full mass here. Sir, based on the size of your truck and the size of your brand, I'm going to conclude you are a Trump supporter, number one. Number two, you said something quite interesting when you got out of that uh, truck. We don't have rights, you proffered in a question. So you do have rights, um, just as she has rights. If Someone flip you off. That is within the context of rights. You approaching somebody aggressively as if you are going to physically assault them is not protected by the United States Constitution. And then you said actions have consequences. You're damn right. You are now, sir, internet famous. Actions have consequences. Uh, the poster of the video gave her account on the incident, said, and I quote, psychos in Denver. I was walking my dog and watched them cut someone off at a Broadway, at Broadway and Iliff. 
and they sped into the neighborhood. I was crossing the street with my dog and I had to jog to avoid them. So I flipped them off and this happened. Thank you to the people at the end for intervening. There you go. Good Samaritans, we also call them anti-carriers, whatever it is. Make sure you say something when you see something like this. All right, David, thoughts here. So I was at the mall, the local mall, I think it was yesterday actually, and I saw somebody in a pickup truck with a bumper sticker that I just did not like. And I had every sort of a temptation to sort of flip them off or to ask them about their bumper sticker. And then I saw that they were pushing a a, a child in the in the in the in the you know stroller. And I was like, look, I don't want I don't want to bother. But the fact of the matter is, yes, we do have a right to be able to confront people and ask them about, you know, hey, why are you flying that flag or why do you have that offensive bumper sticker and I don't like it? And here's the middle finger. We can even do this to the police with all the videos we do on yeah. Rebel HQ a lot of times. Cops will not like it if you give them the middle finger and they pull you over and come up with something. But the fact is we have that is a protected constitutional right. And if somebody can't handle this, if they become so emotionally charged and so offended, then those people should not be leaving their homes. Don't go out in the street, don't go out on the sidewalk, stay in your little confines of your own little bubble and be angry. Because the fact of the matter is there are a lot of things that are gonna happen in society that you may not like and your ability to talk about them is what matters. If you can't yeah. talk about things and decide you need to resort to violence or threats, then there's something wrong with you. There you go. All right, indisputable exclusive. Ohio cops falsely accuse and harass an entire family. I have the video, I have the background, I have the context. Here it is. They are only walking. That's it, right? After school. Now, they were walking home, waiting uh, home after waiting for two of their sisters at the bus stop. This was on the 15th of February. I have more video. Here it is. Fellas, I just walked in. Can you tell them to talk to us, please? Because I need to talk to them. What's the problem? I need to go talk to them. What's the problem? Right now, I need to talk to them. Right now. They were walking in the middle of the street and I need to talk to them. So please send them out here. Man, this isn't up for debate. They need to come outside. You are. You have to. You are. Yeah, they crossed over and not a crosswalk. So please send them outside for me. There is no crosswalk. 97. There are miners. Like they literally just came this way to get my daughter from the bus. I don't understand what the problem is. Cause you never said nothing to my child when he crossed the street. Yeah. You came from this way. 
You literally came from this way as they were already in the yard coming up the stairs. With your waistband, could have had a gun, could not have had a gun. They have t-shirts on, Stop. sir. I, I'm, not, I'm not debating with you. I'm not deba- I'm telling you what they observed, okay? If we knew they had a gun, it'd be significantly different. Jaywalking. All of those officers came into that home, harassed that family because of alleged jaywalking. Put up the picture of the family that these cops harassed. Three 16 year old boys walked home after waiting for two of their sisters at a bus stop on the 15th of February. This is in Lorraine, Ohio. When they returned home, police tried to question them for, and I quote, looking suspicious. Their mother, her name is Mary, Mary refused to send her son Jordan outside when police said he and his friends were jaywalking. Mary says she was afraid to send her son outside because he has dreadlocks, as you can see. She says she believed the police were profiling him and his friends for their appearance. You actually hear them acknowledge this in the video. They wanted us to fall back. They didn't want us to play the video online. Police Chief James McCann wasn't happy. He said his officers did no wrong. He agreed with what they said, but I said, that's not fair. Right is right and wrong is wrong, badge or no badge. Mary Hildreth is her name was charged with misdemeanor obstruction. She was charged with a crime, obstruction of who? A cop. She says her attorney says she did nothing illegal. Have the paperwork there. Let me give you the police chief right now. His name is James McCann. All right. Does he look like a guy that protects the rights of citizens? He's the Lorraine, Ohio police chief. His office did not respond to indisputables emails or calls. However, his department did put out a video justifying the charges against Mary Hildreth, the mother, and attempting to link the teens to a shooting last year on their block. Insane. Here's a shooting that occurred on the same street in June last year. Here it is. All right. In the release, which shows Hildreth House is in a high crime community, the police said one of the teens yelled, Oh, ish. It's the boys, meaning police before going into the house. Uh, that was not audible in any of the videos. Uh, let's put this up, the complaint form. Um, complaint forms are typically available via online with many police departments, just an FYI. Joseph says his son and nephew had nothing to do with that shooting between local gang members last year. He says there are gangs in the area, but his son and nephew don't participate. They have no criminal record. Mary Hildreth filed a complaint with the Lorraine Police Department on the 23rd of February. The complaint reads in part, the kids were already entering the house as the police got out of their car and yelled, come here. So I proceeded to ask for a supervisor. The supervisors basically agreed with the officers that the boys looked suspicious. Which by the way, is the very reason she did not send out the child with dreadlocks. 
Because she said, I think they are targeting him for how he looks. When Joseph and Mary Hildreth met with the chief, they say the chief did not offer to drop the charges and said he would have returned with a warrant for jaywalking. If you feel like there's a gun in our house, write us a ticket for jaywalking and leave. Go get a warrant. And we'll let you, my son and his friends, went straight to the bus stop. The thing is they wear the big rhinestone belt buckles and all that. They sag, they wear hoodies. And we're not going to tell him that he can't wear something. I'm not going to yell at him, tell him to keep pulling his pants up. I'm not going through that fight. Joseph Hildreth, the father said. Now Joseph says he worries local gangs may think his family is gang affiliated and may become the target of a shooting. Well, why would he think that? Because the police chief to cover the activity of his own cops basically insinuated that they were involved in the gang. That's why the cops have now put them in additional danger. Joseph set up a GoFundMe, let's put it up. And if you are able, I encourage you to contribute. They need help finding an attorney because of the harassment. So all of this over jaywalking, jaywalking, what was it really about? Ego, this was not about law and order. This was not about protocol and policing. This was not about keeping the community safe. This was about ego. Now ego has permeated to a dynamic in the court that must be justified by those who are paid to protect the same community. You realize everyone that they are harassing in part pays their salary. Literally, they are paying for their own oppression at this point. We wanted to bring light to this story. We are looking for the police chief to now give us a response as we are seeking additional information about the officers who were involved, all right? Let's put that GoFundMe out again, let's put it up again. Uh, please make sure you contribute if you are able to. That's the information to the GoFundMe, all right? They need help finding a lawyer, all right, David Thoughts. I think that police chief is not gonna come out with a statement that confirms he is a tyrant, but he is in fact a tyrant and his department is full of them. Seven police officers had to respond to this. And again, as the mom knows, if, if, if this was so compelling, they could have gone to a court and gotten a warrant to come in. But yeah. the moment that the mom said, no, you need to get off my property, police are required by the constitution to leave. They have to leave. And the fact that they did not leave and continue to harass this woman and her family shows just what tyrants they are. Secondly, there is a there is a concept known as hot pursuit. And that is if somebody commits a violent crime or an armed robbery or a shooting and runs into the house. Yes, under those circumstances, police can run into the house after that person. But you can't justify hot pursuit because of a jaywalking citation or problem. It just doesn't work. And so this woman's charges are gonna get thrown out. I hope she brings a lawsuit against this police department because they need to be taught a lesson that the constitution still matters. Very well said. Farewell said. All right, we will follow the story as it develops, as we always do with our exclusives. In particular, the juice is loose, ladies and gentlemen. OJ Simpson, man acquitted of double homicide, but convicted of homicide 
during a wrongful death case and then convicted later of stealing his own stuff. He has some thoughts about the conviction of Alex Murdoch, who was found guilty of murder. OJ had this to say. A whole lot of people asking me what I think about this Alex Murdoch trial. I don't know why they think I'm an expert on it, but I gotta admit, when he took the stand, a guy who's an habitual liar, I did watch when the trial first started. I watched him take the stand and I thought it was probably a mistake because the guy is an admitted liar. And it's hard for me to think he can be on the stand five, six, seven, eight days without lying. Question is, what did he lie about? Uh, but lying and stealing money is a little different than murder. Uh, I realized in watching them testify what he was doing. He was just trying to relate to one or two of those jurors that he was a good old boy. He was one of them. Uh, and I'm not sure he didn't succeed in doing that. Uh, I am not qualified to, to really say if the guy did it or he didn't do it. Uh, you know, if a juror missed an hour of testimony, they no longer qualified. I've missed days that I haven't watched this. Um, uh, but from what I've seen, do I think it's more likely that he did it? Yes. But more likely equals reasonable doubt. Uh, so, uh, from what I know, uh, I would have to say there's a lot of reasonable doubt there. Uh, he's going to go to jail for all the thievery he did, stealing millions of dollars of people. I think he should be looked at more about the death of his housekeeper a few years ago where he ended up with over $4 million of the insurance money. Um, I think they should take a hard look at that. But it wouldn't surprise me in the least if this guy beats this case. If OJ, if OJ was white, rather than just thinking he's white, he would be Donald Trump. This is so insane. Now, he then basically compares the sentencing. Here it is. Uh, he's gonna go to jail. He's gonna go to jail for all the money he stole. I'm curious there because uh, I got nine to 33 years. 33 years because I caught some guys trying to sell my stolen property and I yelled at them. Even they didn't think I should go to jail. And the judge gave me, this Jackie Glass gave me nine to 33 years. So I'm trying to see what this guy is going to get. I'm just glad the black delegation traded OJ a long time ago. <laughs> All right. Do you remember this OJ moment? She's not a fool. All right, David, you know, I debated on even covering this. OJ, but it's so extreme what this guy's doing. Now, initially, when he set up his social media accounts, I said, okay, OJ's trolling people, right? But I've come to realize this is actually who he is. Mm -hmm. 
He's oblivious, has no awareness whatsoever. What are your thoughts? Well, OJ is part of the fabric of our culture, whether we like it or not. And he proves again that charisma sometimes is all that matters because right. OJ has it in abundance, just like <laughs> Donald Trump used to have it. I mean, he's one of the most charismatic celebrity athletes we've ever had. And so whatever he says is sort of magnetic. It's interesting to watch. It spooks me out a little bit that there's OJ talking about knowing about whether the guy's lying. And how lying and thievery is different from actual murder, because I, I just the the number of thoughts that go back and forth in OJ's mind, in my view, it must just be uh, insane. Um, but there he is; uh, he's yeah. still alive and kicking. He'll probably be that way for forever. <laughs> OJ was like, um, now he stole money, but he's not a killer. I know killers. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. Welcome back. We have a lot of show left. Always a pleasure to have you stick and stay. Let me read as many comments as I can. Lynn says, actions have consequences like flying flags that cause people to flip you off. Freedom of speech goes both ways. That is correct. Also, MB says, I just looked over and realized it's OJ. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was OJ. All right. Very sad story, we need answers. A New Jersey man, he's a violence intervention specialist, or he was. He's been killed by the police, put his picture up full mass. A lot of questions here, 31 year old, Najee, Yo Najee C. Brooks, a member of the Patterson Healing Collective was fatally shot by a city police officer on Friday afternoon. After a five hour standoff while he was barricaded inside of his home. Although initial details remain sketchy, it is clear Seabrooks was in a mental health crisis. But activists and law enforcement are not, are, excuse me, at odds over whether the shooting was actually justified. Remember, he is or he was a violence intervention activist. Seabrooks became involved with the Healing Collective, which is part of the New Jersey Violence Intervention and Prevention Coalition after he was a victim of a shooting, ironically. Members of the Patterson Healing Collective condemned the shooting, accusing city police of preventing them from helping their friend and colleague. They said police should not have allowed the situation to escalate to the point where deadly force was used. Law enforcement officers said they could not permit civilians to participate in the crisis negotiations with someone in an emotionally disturbed state of mind. A Patterson police union leader said the cops at the scene had no choice but to fire their guns when Seabrooks brandished a knife and moved towards them. Two officers fired the guns. Authorities have not revealed how many bullets struck Seabrooks. Now, naturally, that's not true. We have a couple of stories right here on Indisputable. We got video of white males charging the police with knives, no gunshots. As a matter of fact, sometimes the police just took cover, ran away or used a taser. One cop literally engaged in combat in order to preserve the man's life. So no, this is not their only choice to kill him. It was not clear what prompted Seabrooks to barricade himself inside of his apartment building. 20 Mill Street. Police officials said he was treated as an emotionally disturbed person and that the department's emergency response team 
was deployed to negotiate with him, okay? Uh, the New Jersey AG's office announced Friday that it was now investigating this. Uh, why were non-lethal tactics, why were they not used? Three high ranking anonymous sources familiar with the investigation said the deceased had broken some water pipes and started a small fire in the apartment during a standoff between him and police. City firefighters were able to extinguish the blaze. The broken pipes and fire hoses left water on the floor of the apartment, which also mixed with spilled alcohol, precluding the use of tasers. So they're saying because of this water and this mixture, they could not utilize a non-lethal tactic. I want to remind everybody, it wasn't on the run. He wasn't trying to evade authorities. He was having a mental health crisis. You understand? He was having a mental health crisis. He literally gets shot and killed because he is in a state of mental confusion. That's like you or me being shot or killed, shot or killed because we have a medical condition. That's all it is, it's a medical condition. Nobody should have a bullet inside of them because they have a medical condition. Social justice activists have now called for authorities to release video immediately, recordings immediately of the incident so that the public would know what happened. Seabrook's death prompted the city's Black Lives Matter group on Saturday to call for the restructuring of the Patterson Police Department. And demanding that Patterson create a civilian crisis assistance team composed of social workers and intervention specialists to handle cases of people having mental health crisis. And that's exactly what they can do. I want to give a big shout out to people like Sheriff Kibo in Gwinnett County, Georgia, who created a mental health response team as soon as he was elected sheriff of that county. It has been a very effective tactic in making sure you do not recreate this cycle of dysfunction in our criminal justice system. But it takes leaders like him and others transform this narrative. This man should be alive. David, thoughts here. I don't understand when the police say, no, we can't have civilians be part of this. I don't understand what they're talking about. If a civilian, a family member, a friend, a colleague is the person who's able to help de-escalate tensions and is able to get Mr. Seabrooks to calm down a little bit, why wouldn't you go in that route? Right. The civilian doesn't have to be you know, within arm's distance, but can go in there and, and, and talk. And then secondly, it's the idea that, well, we couldn't use a taser because that might electrocute him, but it was okay for us to shoot him. Right. I mean, that doesn't make that does not make any sense. And I think to your point, I think this is a leadership crisis in Patterson. And clearly, there was some reckless disregard for the value of this man's life, maybe because of his previous work. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sad on so many levels. So many, so many. We will bring you updates as they come. Very sad situation. All right, cops, jailers allowed a man to be beaten by gang members because he would not join the gang. Put up the picture for mass. You see the man in the middle sitting down, 
he can't walk. A Maryland man was brutally beaten by gang members inside of a Maryland jail. He's expected now to get $7 million from the state. His name is Daquan Wallace, only 28 years of age, but he is now paralyzed, cannot walk, he cannot talk. His life is completely changed. His lawsuit blames the state for what happened to him, and so do I. I just want my life back, Wallace said in a text message shared by his attorneys. Wallace has fought for nearly a decade to be compensated for what happened back in 2014 at the Baltimore City Jail. I'm gonna give you the background to this hellacious story. Wallace was sent to Baltimore City Detention Center for stemming from a burglary charge September 2014. That charge was completely dismissed. According to Wallace's lawsuit against the state of Maryland, he was pressured to join BGF, which is the Black Gorilla family, just weeks after being incarcerated. BGF is a notorious prison gang founded in 1966 and operates primarily in California and Maryland. That's according to the Justice Department and their information. He refused to join the gang, attorney Larry Greenberg said to CBS News, explaining the reasons behind the beatdown. On December 2nd, 2014, the then 20 year old Wallace, who was described in the legal claim against the state as being 5 feet 10 and 130 pounds when he was booked into the jail, appeared injured with a black eye during a bail review hearing. His mother contacted jail officials expressing concern for her son's safety. She also told jail staff her son told the people, told her the people were trying to get him to join gangs and that he was afraid for his life. That's according to court documents. She then requested Wallace be moved to a different housing unit within the jail. The jail would not comply with the mother's request to ensure her son's safety. The lawsuit claimed corrections officers actually cooperated with gang members at the jail. On December 18th, 2014, Wallace was moved to another housing unit. The lawsuit alleges the officers claimed Wallace was extorting other inmates for phone and commissary privileges to justify the move. Under oath, the officers later admitted the extortion claims were false. Later that evening around 7 p.m. according to court documents, an officer sent all inmates in the housing unit to the cafeteria for dinner except for occupants of three jail cells and Mr. Wallace. The inmate who had been in the cell, Wallace was being transferred to testified. He was sent out of the cell as soon as Wallace was brought in. He already knew it was a setup, okay? The three, the three cells of the inmates who'd been left behind during dinner were left open while the rest of the housing unit was at dinner for a period of five to 10 minutes. Wallace was beaten, bloodied and left with a head injury causing brain damage. The cell door was opened up, two gang members came in, they beat him, left him for dead, had smashed his head up against the wall, Greenberg said. When Wallace's cellmate returned from dinner, discovered him beaten, he alerted jail staff. Wallace was transported to the medical unit where he was found to have trauma to the right side of his head, the facial area, his bottom lip, and the back of his head contained a section of blood. Court documents say the officer responsible for the unit violated policy and later admitted to leaving the cells unlocked. On March 1st, Maryland's comptroller, Brooke Learman, apologized to Mr. Wallace after announcing the settlement. The quote, I'm so sorry this happened. 
And I'm glad we can provide some resources to you and your family moving forward. Something like this should never happen. So now what needs to happen? Everybody who did this should be held accountable. We're gonna to continue to follow this story as it develops. David Phelps. Money is just is not justice, right? I mean, yeah. money may help a little bit, but um, to your point, I mean, there needs to be accountability. There needs to be transparency. Who were the people who were involved? Who were the officers involved, the, the guards? What has happened to them? They haven't had their life taken away. They haven't been paralyzed. They haven't been knocked to a point where they can't speak. What is the state of Maryland doing to them? Right. Fine that they've settled with some money, but there needs to be more. There you go. All right, we're gonna stay on top of it. Always a pleasure, my dear brother, having you on the program. Tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. People can look at my work at Rebel HQ, either on Facebook or YouTube. Just go into the search function and type in David Schuster Rebel HQ and all the videos will come up. We do a lot of police interaction videos, constitutional rights, racism, Black Lives Matter. Also a lot of politics as well, with 2024 starting to heat up. So we've got videos in there every day. And there's also an opportunity for people to comment and give us some feedback. Always a pleasure, people. Listen, uh, David will teach you some things. He's like a professor <laughs> with how he breaks down the information. All right, we appreciate you, my friend. Thanks, Dr. Richie. Take care. You too. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. Welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Richard. We got a lot happening today, but what do we do on this show? We tell the truth. You know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here. Congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. Here's the pattern that we see in all of these Karen stories. They think they own stuff they do not own. Now, where does that come from? I don't know, maybe slavery. Maybe they think they should still own black people. This is what happens when Karens weaponize the police. When you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. It hits you in a certain way when someone is holding you against your will, treating you like you're a criminal and you're an innocent person. This is something that black people face no matter where they are. A stronger black economy lends itself to a stronger, greater economy. Don't think it's exclusive of you, it's inclusive of you. What's your beef with critical race theory? It adds more fuel to the fire of the racist tendencies that we already have. We have a generation of problem solvers that can remedy the problem if they are properly taught what the problem is. You know who created redlining in this country? Mm -hmm. The white liberal. I, I, don't, I don't give a damn who created it. If it's well, a racist I, 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 policy, I, I, racist I, policy. Shelly, here's what I don't to. know. I don't know. See, there you go filibustering, brother. You're scared of this truth, but you're gonna get it though.